almost two years later, we're going to be continuing into the section called Personal Victory and Overcoming Sin. And I'm just going to read the question and then hand it off to both of you. Sure. That's okay. All right. Question one. Do you harbor unforgiveness or bitterness towards others? Yeah, where do you begin with those? I mean, those are some of the most uh, critical heart issues that that the New Testament is dealing with. It, what's what's really helpful, I think, to to cover in this in this particular question is this concept that Jesus has of the forgiver of the parable of the kingdom. You know, if you don't forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you. And how essential that is to all of our Christian experience that we don't have places where we just can't let go. Um, this is a good opportunity to talk about how people have have struggled with and overcome, you know, pain in their life, trauma, uh, difficulties, bad relationships. This is a really good way to get to know people in regards to how we interact with forgiveness and bitterness. The other thing to, to mention, I think, is how what the effects of bitterness are. Like, these two ideas are associated, unforgiveness and bitterness, but there's all these, but what we usually see is bitterness, you know, like this, um, uh, this inability to get along with people that comes from deep hurts and things that are unresolved that those are often indicators that there's some unforgiven thing in the past. And so it's good to, to explore with people where those things could be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would just add that the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive us, as we mm -hmm. forgive our debtors, that this is, this is absolutely vital if we're gonna stand before God one day and, and, and seek the prospect of forgiveness for our own sins and it's, it's remarkable about how sometimes we can we can bury it and not be aware enough of what's going on in our own hearts. And so this is a very important question to explore carefully. Got it. And after, like during the spiritual assessment process, do you like to see people go through making forgiveness towards others in the past before moving on into communion with people? Is that an ongoing process? before communion or is that something you do with the church well it depends on the situation if we're going through spiritual assessment with somebody and we get to this and they're like yeah I have this experience in my past with this person and I just can't let go of it then we need to stop there and work through that that trauma that pain the difficulty of that relationship and figure out how to get this person to a place of peace through the ministry of Christ and and it's important, I think, at that juncture to talk about, you know, that forgiving is not the same as forgetting, that there's a lot of, there's a lot of toxic kind of mantras that, that we've inherited in our culture and, and in, in Christian culture um, that aren't actually helpful for getting over trauma or dealing with problematic relationships or people who have done us wrong. But really choosing to let go of those things um, is, a, is the healthy way that we want to find grace and peace with whatever difficulty. So if that's not there, that's going to be a problem for that person. And for their sake, mm -hmm. we need to we need to help them find peace through those things. And that's that's why we ask. Mm -hmm. 
would you add anything? No. All right. Yeah, let's move on to the, the next question. It's pretty similar. Is there forgiveness you need to ask or restitution that you need to make toward others? Yeah, this is, this is one that is, in some ways, the, the, the mirror image to the previous one. And, of course, Jesus says if, you, if you're standing and you're offering something to God and you remember that somebody has something against you, go and resolve that immediately before you even interact with God. And it's such an important teaching that it's easy to, to forget I'll give some of my own experience with this. When I was young, I had actually, I had actually stolen some things from, in a bizarre way. Not I didn't even need it. I was just, just mm-hmm. in sin, and um, and so years later, when I was working through something like this, I decided, oh, I got to go back and talk to these store owners and repay them for what I what I did. And I, I think that's that's an important step for us to, to recognize that to clear our, our relationship with God spiritually often is through other people. And we'd like to keep it separate. And we all know it's a lot easier to ask God for forgiveness than it is to ask mm-hmm. someone else for forgiveness. So I think to, to take stock and to say, like, yeah, who have I offended? Who, who have I stolen from? Who have I wronged that I need to go back and and make those wrongs right. We we need to understand that that our reconciliation to God is through those relationships. That God is present in those relationships, and it is it is a vital step of, of getting right with God. And for some people, that's a really messy process. Uh, some of us are coming from a from a much lower place than others. Uh, I know that. <clears throat> When Eric and I were converted, um, I, I, I had—I mean, I was—I was involved in street violence. Like I was literally fighting with people I didn't even know. I can't find those people. And, and for people that are coming from really bad places like that, um, it's important to have this disposition, like. It's not a set it and forget it. Like you don't just make a list and mm-hmm. write it off and balance the checkbook and say you're good to go. Sometimes these issues of of reconciliation and restitution they come up again and again. Uh, you know that's true of forgiveness also. Uh, uh, it's worth saying in both of these categories whether we need to be forgiven or we need to offer forgiveness that these aren't always just set it and forget it notions. It's not like you can just say hey I've done all that. Uh, on both sides of this equation, my wife and I have walked in places where we, you think it's cleared up, but you need to do a review and you need to say, okay, well, I did forgive that relationship, but I'm feeling problems again. Then you need to forgive again and you need to walk in that forgiveness. And sometimes we encounter situations like I, I, it stands out to me because I remember one time in particular, I was doing a food distribution uh, among homeless people and it was a cold, cold day. We were in front of a bar. It was a snowy morning. And I found a, a homeless guy. I was giving him some food. And I recognized as I was sitting there with him, this is a guy that I had been in a fight with before. And it's horrifying. It's, so, it's such a painful thing to have to say, hey, do you remember me? Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry for what I did. I'm a different person now. I'm not like that. I've had several experiences in my Christian journey where I've run back into people 
that I did wrong, that I didn't have any way to be in contact with. Um, sometimes it happens to us on social media. You, I, I had this experience too. I had a guy that I did wrong to when I was a kid, when I was a young man. I did really wrong to him. And he reached out to me on, I didn't even know where he was on social media. And I had the opportunity to, to ask him for forgiveness, to set things right, to explain to him what happened in my life and why I'm a different person than I was. Um, and um, and I'm able to, like, I'm in contact with that guy now. It's it's a fixed relationship. Mm-hmm. So there's always an opportunity to, we want to set a good pattern where we begin and then walk in those things as we move forward. And I've heard stories of members making lists of restitution mm-hmm. and make taking inventory and then actually sending right. <laughs> sending letters out and right. emails to actually take some action steps. Yeah. and towards other people, anything, would you recommend that? Just that it shouldn't be theoretical. Right. These restitutions need to involve people in setting things right. Yeah, I I did that, my wife did that. I think it's very, very powerful and a really, really healthy step that we take so that, yeah, it's not not just the realm of ideas, but it's it's tangible workings with with people that we've we've been with and that we've wronged. And not to just keep it in a personal journal that right, other right. people ever see. Yeah. Let's let's move on to this next question here. Do you struggle with any of the following? Outbursts of anger, envy, jealousy, dishonesty or exaggeration in speech, fear of man, depression. Those are the ones listed. I know it's not a, an exhaustive list, but do you want to speak to this question a little? Yeah, I... I think these are good. It's a good kind of like cross section of a life, and and it's funny when you ask people. It's a part of this process is to ask people things specifically that we don't often get asked in our lives, mm. like how often do you sit down across the table with somebody and say, "Do you struggle with anger in your life? Do you practice dishonesty in your speech? Do you have, you know." Um, does fear of man or, or envy control you? And and hopefully when we have these conversations, you know, I, my experience with people in talking about these things is that it's kind of like, um, I don't usually find people just saying, oh no. It's usually like, well, the, yeah, I do see some of those things in this place or that or when this, when this, when I get in this environment, then I respond in these bad ways, whether that's anger or fear of man. And to take stock of those things, the way I talk about this, and, and I often bring up this exact point when we talk about spiritual assessment and its value, is that you know we're asking these things not as a pass or fail. It's not like we're grading people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason I want to know if a brother in my, at my table struggles with depression, it's not like if you struggle with depression, you can't be a part of our, our agape and our mm-hmm. communion. It's that if you struggle with depression, I want to know that so I can help bear your burdens, so I can help be involved in that struggle in your life, so that we can pray together, so that you have a support network that you can say, hey, brothers, you know, I, I, I told you I struggle with this thing. It's, it's rearing its ugly head in my life, and I need help. Let's, let's work together on it. And that's why all these things are here. Do you have other comments about this? I would say as well that, that several of these are ones that, that can... Well, okay, so one, one example of the outburst of anger. This is one that... It, it can be the dramatic, like someone who's 
breaking a, a cup or smashing a plate and yelling and screaming and hitting people. That's possible. Rare, but it's, it's possible. What's, what's also something to be aware of here is passive-aggressive outbursts of anger. They can really poison a home, especially. I, I've interacted not too long ago with someone who his children have disowned the parents and spent some time working with him through that. And a lot of that was because of just years and years of this anger that was expressed in very unhealthy ways. And now his children are old and, and most of them moved out of the home. We want to know this um, mm-hmm. as well and, and probe. What does this look like? What is, how do you deal with emotion and stress for the sake of your family? And then I'll, I'll pick another example here with the dishonesty or exaggeration in speech. I actually did once a spiritual assessment with someone and they admitted it and then literally at the end of the of the night they had to confess to me that they had exaggerated in their spiritual assessment mm. about everything. I mean that's how pervasive it was. Wow. And it's good for us to to put that on the table because these are these are issues that if we identify them and name them and can be proactive in in seeking to, to, to crucify the flesh there, we can make positive steps. And so I think it's, it's just a great set of questions to lay out some of the, the common struggles that we face and that are going to impact the body because, I mean, even, even in speech, for example, how one communicates, that, that can have serious ramifications on, on the body in terms of how we weight different things that someone says and how we, we process together um, just basic patterns of communication. So I, I think this is a, a great list of of taking stock of typical shortfalls. Right. The other thing is that we're creating an expectation. You know, if I if I'm sitting at a if I'm sitting and doing you're doing my spiritual assessment and you ask me this question and I say, you know, I do he, I have had struggles with anger here, here, and here, and uh, I do find myself being controlled by the fear of man, um, and here's how it manifests in my life. What we're doing is we're creating an expectation that that's something that we're supposed to talk about. Mm-hmm. As brothers in the church, this is how we're involved with one another. So that in the future, you know that about me, and when you have a concern, you can say, hey, brother, is this that? You know, we talked about this in the past. Is this something that you're struggling with again? So that there can be some intervention from the outside. Because what? Because I want... We all want to grow in Christ, and we need, we're recognizing the need for the church to do that. If I, whatever of this list is, is mine, whatever things that I struggle with up to this point in my life, I'm still struggling with, and I need other things to help me set those things in order. And my brothers are an important part of that distinction, an important part of that process, so that, so that when I'm acting in certain ways, somebody can say, hey, are you, are you operating this way because because uh, of depression? Are you operating this way because of the fear of man? Is this are you being truthful? Are you actually being really truthful about those things? It's it's a huge it's a huge part of Christian life. Right. And I, I'm just going to read a small sentence in the beginning of the spiritual assessment, just because I think it's worth noting that this if you deal with these things, it's not a litmus test of acceptance or rejection. It says here. 
For instance, if someone does struggle with a fear of man or depression, this does not imply a rejection, but an important area for the church to know that a new brother or sister will need support in that area to overcome. Right. And it's it's kind of like we're, we're it's the first naming the problem is the first right. step in overcoming it. Exactly. And it's not necessarily like, oh, you deal with this, you're out. Right. It's much more we're going to surround you and help you. I mean, but that'd yeah, be great. I think it's uh, I think it's in all these categories, but one of the places I've seen it a lot lately is in the area of depression. Uh, there's a lot of people that struggle with depression, and I think a lot of those people that struggle with depression, there's there's uh, I'm not I'm not uh, uh, I'm not qualified to speak on that very authoritatively, but but I know a lot of people who have that struggle, and 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 a huge part of overcoming is having relationships where you can talk about that struggle where you can pull people into your life as a support network when those things when you're struggling that way and and have people who care and people close enough because the hardest part of that struggle in particular and any struggle with sin sin I'm, I'm not necessarily saying depression is always sin but in, in any difficulty we have in our life having to go through that on your own is is often the worst part of it and I know that's the case with depression, is that it, it, it pulls people into a spiral where they're just in their own world, and, and it's an ugly world. Mm-hmm. And to be able to bring in some light from the church and say, let's, let's talk about this together, let's walk through it together, it, it's, it's life-changing stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, let's move to the next question here. Are you caught up in any addictions? This includes smoking, marijuana, alcohol, etc.? Yeah, I mean, we live in a world of lots of substance abuse, and this is one that a, a lot of people, especially coming from from certain backgrounds, will have more struggles with. I mean, I, I, alcohol has been something that a couple of, of folks in our agapes in particular have really, really struggled with, and, and it is so important. It's sim- similar to what you just said. To put that on the table and to identify, hey, how long has this been going on? What are your triggers? How can we, how can we walk with you through this? And what are your coping mechanisms that you have that that we can reorient in, in healthy ways rather than going to the bottle or cigarettes, etc. So it's there's a, there's a whole world that each of these entails, mm-hmm. and insofar as we are working with people that are from backgrounds that are, you know, quote unquote clean, this is gonna come up a lot. And we should be delighted to work with people who who struggle in these ways. But we we just have to know it and, and begin to develop strategies around that. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we haven't seen a lot of it yet, but I think it's a looming crisis is with the legalization of marijuana. Mm-hmm. We're going to see a lot more people coming up in the church that have been using that as a coping structure. Mm-hmm. A coping mechanism for dealing with stress in their life or problems or, or developing dependencies on that, um, with its ease of uh, availability. Yeah, right. And then this next one's similar. But do you struggle with gluttony or anorexia? Yeah, I mean these are also very common in our world today, and both of them are these zones of excess that we need to be on top of, both both of which are bound up with a whole host of issues, whether it's self-control or self-image. Yeah, the self-image stuff in particular <coughs> affects a whole host of things, right. m- m- more commonly with women, but 
it can affect men as well. But those image issues are huge. Right. And this next one, I, I've yet, I don't think I've yet to come into a spiritual assessment where there wasn't some aspect of a yes to this question. So it's very important. Are you in bondage to pornography or sexual immorality? Yes, like you said, how, how many people today are not broken in some way in this regard? Wow, I mean, it's, it's the rare person. We live in a highly pornographic world, and when you, when you define pornography as anything that's intended to sexually arouse, which I think is a good definition, then it's everywhere. It's not necessarily even just looking at images of nudity. And I spent a lot of my time working with groups of young men on this issue and this is this is probably the number one or maybe the number two issue for young men but it's also very common among young women and you know it, it used to be the case that okay we're gonna split up into separate groups and the men are gonna go talk about sexual purity and the women are gonna talk about modesty Th those those days of artificial separation there are long over. Uh, the statistics on women and pornography, masturbation, sexual, I mean, it is alarming today. And so we have to recognize that this is a, uh, a two-gender issue, and it is so pervasive in our culture today that we need to just tackle this head-on. And we need to tackle it like we do the other addictions. I mean, it could as easily be in the list with marijuana and alcohol because it has a lot of the same effects of, of an addictive behavior. And it needs the same kind of, of treatment protocol. It needs people, it needs regular involvement, it needs you know, real proactive discipleship and learning strategies and coping mechanisms and developing a base of, of ways to change our behavior in regards to sexuality that that require discipleship. It requires mm -hmm. people being involved. Yeah, we have separate groups that meet every week and have daily accountability around this because it requires that level of proactive discipleship. Right, and just to, I think a good question to have is if you're going through the spiritual assessment and someone says yes to any of these, and if they say no, you just go to the next question. If they say neck, yes, what are some of the the steps that we should be noting to work on with that, that person moving forward as they as they go on there. So we want to, depending on what those what they are and where they're coming from. You know, I think I think s sexual sin and sexual brokenness is 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 nearly endemic in our culture. Right. So everybody that's showing up at our table is coming from a place of sexual confusion, some kind of sin. Uh, how far in the past that is, how current it is, what, what, how they've dealt with that are all uh, parts of that equation. But in regards to all these things, what we want to do is we want to say, when, we, when the yes comes, mm -hmm. then we want to say, how, do we wanna, how, how can we help and support you in that? Mm -hmm. I mean, we have a question at the end of how can the church help and support you, but in regards to these specific issues in the areas where you have need as a disciple, how, how should we proceed? How, what are the and to talk about that environment? So, if I struggle with outbursts of anger, like how, where does that come from? Like dig into the place where there's a yes, mm -hmm. and say w what's what's at the bottom of that, and how can we start working on helping you overcome? Because we want to like this. This section is called personal victory, 
and overcoming sin. Mm -hmm. That's the goal, is that we want to continue to overcome. And, And, you know, one thing that I say all the time is that I don't, I don't care where people are starting from. What, what, what my goal in the church for all of us is that nobody stays still, that we mm-hmm. all are moving forward. If we keep moving forward, then, then we, can get, we can all get where we're going. But the, the worst problem to have is when we have the same problem in our life year over year, and we're not making steps to change it, we're not, we're not growing, we're not overcoming, we're just stuck in patterns, old patterns, that's that's the the thing we have to avoid at all costs. That's the the failure of our discipleship networks is is when we're not moving forward. So I can start with anybody anywhere in these things, but we have to start moving forward. All right. And then this last question here: Do you have involvements with the occult, witchcraft, or tribalism? I know this is sort of a contextual question too, so I'm gonna throw in the category of nationalism because I think. I don't think a lot of people in the U.S. would say a yes to those first three, maybe some, but nationalism's much more of a U.S. problem. Yeah, yeah these, these, this particular question was developed in, overseas for the spiritual assessments that they were doing in Africa because they're very relevant issues uh, right. for the African church, that tribalism and distinctions between people groups is a huge issue, um, witchcraft and the occult is a huge issue. But... but I, we've, we've wrestled about whether or not we should keep this on, on our spiritual assessment here, but as you mentioned, our form of tribalism is nationalism. It's just a, maybe a little bit bigger tribe that we're used to um, this, this idea of American exceptionalism, that we're the best people on earth. Like, that is just tribalism. It's just on a, on a slightly bigger tribal scale than, than what we're used to dealing with in other tribal contexts. So so we would address it the same way. But the witchcraft and occult is also a looming issue for us uh, in a couple of respects. In popular culture, witchcraft and, and the occult is, is kind of like a, it's an oft-repeated um, token that comes up mm-hmm. in popular culture. And so this, these, these ideas, whether it's in literature, you know, the Harry Potter stuff, this, this witchcraft as kind of like a, a pursuit, like a, like a diversion, a recreation. But there are people who are seriously in, into occultic practices, whether it's neo-paganism. I mean, where I come from, there are. I, I, I come from a place uh, in the Northwest where there's, a, there's very explicit neo-pagan and witchcraft occult. So I don't know how much of that we'll deal with, but where I see the most interaction with these issues is in people's thoughts about the afterlife and the death uh, and the dead and w- so whether that's ghosts ghost stories this kind of stuff and and I think that because of the pop culture associations with those those ideas the idea of your own little ghost story isn't seen as it's kind of an innocuous thing I, I don't I don't believe that it is an innocuous thing I think that there is um, there's a kind of what I call secular animism, where it's like this ghost storytelling. Uh, and, and I think that a lot of homes, I don't know how many, but uh, certainly ones I'm familiar with, grow up with this idea of 
grandma or grandpa watching over you <coughs> behind, or your dearly departed loved one mm-hmm. is happy that you're here and mm-hmm. he's here and he wants you to know X, Y, or Z. And this kind of modern take on necromancy mm-hmm. is really just a recasting of the old form of necromancy. It's trying to connect to our dead ancestors from beyond the grave. And that's a, it's a forbidden thing. Right. And we need to, even if we don't understand all the implications, we need to know that that's, those are forbidden practices. We're not supposed to be in communication with the dead. We're not supposed to be trying to reach across the veil and contact spirits or tell ghost stories or have associations. It even happens, I was, I was at a Christian wedding, like a conservative Christian wedding, and it was uh, one of the people getting married had uh, a parent who was deceased. And in the midst of our kinds of people, it's it goes over in public like your mother's here and she sees you and she's so happy and she wants you to know x y and z that's that's modern animism Mm -hmm. so those are things worth talking about i think would you you add anything no no that's great i think you you covered it really well well that's a wrap on on this section would you anything else you'd like to say about personal victory or overcoming sin just that I think this is one of the most important sections we talk about because this is the nitty-gritty of, of my personal life. It's, the, it's kind of like exposing who I really am. And this is where we want to get to at our community tables where we don't have to have pretense about who we really are. I, uh, and it's hard to start, but it's so edifying to be in a place where you can really be you with all of your, with all of your frailties and all of your uh, problems to sit at a table with people who know you and and be real, not have to... Let me say it this way. I, I, I think what, what, we've tr- what we've been trying to make for... Uh, in my whole time in the church for 20 years is a place where people can be real, really be real with each other, where we're really a family, warts and all, where we know who each other are. And I used to think that it was it was um, deception or or lying that prevented that most. And if you just got honest, that that you could have real relationships in the church, and that is a problem. People people do purposefully obscure who they are sometimes in hypocrisy, and in in deceit. But the bigger problem that I've come to realize is that what keeps us from being real with one another in the church, uh, real with one another at the agape table, is not a false sense of me. It's my best conception of me. It's the who I want to be that, I, that I'm so prone to present to my brothers and sisters in the church. It's not a, it's not a manufactured me. It's not a false me. It's just me at my best. Mm-hmm. And, and me at my best, if that's the face that I wear when I'm with the church, then, then you, can't, you can't do anything. Like, you can't work on the real stuff. And you have to get past me at my best. And if we can get to the place where with our, with our communion, we can be me at my worst and really talk about who that is and really address him and really speak to him and really minister to him, the me at my worst, that's where the really deep Christian work happens. Great. I would add one one other comment here is that this this section is also 
laying the groundwork for a life of confession mm. and a life of walking in the light. And the one of my favorite verses in First John is, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sins. There's a double benefit from walking in the light, which is that we get true, authentic fellowship, koinonia. Without that, we don't have it. And we get Jesus' blood cleansing us. Who doesn't want that? This, this section lays is the groundwork for that. And I'll just add that I think one of the lessons that we've learned is that if you see somebody in somebody in the person you're assessing and don't say anything, you're opening a door to <laughs> tons of problems in Correct. the future and it, it, the one of the jobs of going through this assessment is to is to be astute and prying in a certain loving Absolutely. way right. and not to shy away from these issues and to press in and ask more questions to create more dialogue. I know I know that's a really challenging thing to do, but just to encourage people to do that. All right.